Well, good evening. Let's, uh, let's gather to our seats. Most of you are there. And uh, we'll get started in just a, a minute. It's wonderful to be here with you tonight. Um, if you didn't get a candle, I, I know they're so, they're very fancy. Um, put a lot of work into them. You know? <laughs> so, somebody did. Um, uh, go grab a candle right now if you, if you don't have one. Uh, they're, and they're just electric candles, so no uh, worry of, of burning our furniture. <laughs> they're in the back, uh, right on the table. Uh, so I can go ahead and grab one. My name is Dan Roca. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here at Crossway Church. I'm so thankful that you're you're gathered here with us, and uh, uh, we're just going to have a pretty informal time of uh, singing to our Lord uh, and Savior. Um, he was born, as you know, as we celebrate Christmas, and so uh, yeah, we're going to enjoy. So let's stand. And let's uh, let's sing together.
Isaiah 9, 2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So, you know, even during Christmas time, uh, there can be plenty of darkness and sadness in, in our own lives, right? Um, but Jesus came. Jesus came to bring light to the darkness, to overcome the darkness. And he brought light to people who didn't even deserve it. That's, that's us. We didn't deserve this. And so we don't, we don't have to, during Christmas time, we don't have to pretend that there's no darkness and there's no sadness. But we look to Jesus and we encourage each other to look to Jesus who is our light, and trust that he has overcome the world. He's overcome the darkness. And so we celebrate his birth uh, together uh, because this is God's most beautiful, most precious gift to us, uh, his son. Uh, so we thank God. Jesus, we thank you for coming to earth to be born as a humble little baby, uh, to Bear with all the things uh, and all the difficulties that life brings, but then to die a death for our sin, to bring light to us, to, to be risen from the dead as you are now. We thank you that you have brought us light and life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing maybe a new song um, that you may or may not have heard. Um, and if, uh, if you don't know it, that's okay. Uh, just join in when you, when you can and uh, join with us.
Let's have the lights in the sanctuary off, and let's turn on our candles. And let's listen to some scripture that speaks of and predicts uh, Christ's birth. Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. It's pretty amazing what God did in sending Jesus to us. We tend to take that for granted because we've you know have all these christmas traditions and whatnot but we sing about it and it's just there's a wonder there and there's an amazement there 
that uh, I think we need to recapture at times. So let's try to recapture that a little bit by singing this next song and reminding each other of the just the amazement of Christ's birth. The stars are brightly shining. 
welcome. Merry Christmas. I am pleased on behalf of our pastoral team to both welcome you and thank you for joining us on this Christmas Eve as we celebrate the birth of Christ and we reflect on the glorious night so long ago where the baby Jesus uh, was born. My name is Bauer Evans, most of you know that, and uh, it's my privilege to share briefly a reflection on this Christmas Eve service. I'm going to be reading from John's Gospel, a few verses, and if you're familiar with the, the stories of, of Christmas that come from Luke's Gospel and Matthew, which we just read from, You'll note in just a moment when we read John that he doesn't provide any details about the manger where Jesus was born, about shepherds guarding their flocks by night, about angels announcing uh, the birth of Christ, about magi coming from afar to bring gifts, but he does reflect on the birth of Christ and talks about it in terms of light shining into the darkness in order that we, through Christ, might receive new life. Let me read the scripture 
then I'll pray. After I pray and share a little bit, there is a brief moment where I have to get my prop, which for the kids is a, if you will, a toy or an object that illustrates the message. And I have to actually go out that door to get it because I didn't want to be a distraction. So stay tuned for that. This is God's word, John, the gospel of John, beginning in verse 9. This will be projected behind me. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Thanks be to God for his word. John begins his gospel by announcing to us that Jesus was born to bring you and I a message. And the message is simply this. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming in to the world. John wants you and I to understand the most important story in the Bible, which really lies underneath all the other stories of the Bible, and in fact, lies underneath your and my story as well. And it's my prayer tonight, it's my hope and prayer tonight that God would give you a glimpse, even if it's just a crack, a glimpse in a flashbulb moment of insight how this story this true story, and the message that Jesus brings to you and I through it makes sense of your story. And in that, we find life. That's my hope. Jesus himself is here to bring us the message. And as Dan read it earlier, and I read it again, it's simply this. Jesus was sent because God is pursuing a relationship with you. Jesus was born because God is pursuing a relationship with me too. John loves the word light in his gospel, and he often pairs it with the theme of life. In fact, Eight chapters later, he will quote Jesus when he's an adult and say, whoever will follow him will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He combines both. See, this verse helps you understand and me connect the larger story of what God is doing with your story. It's simply this, that in the midst of darkness, in the midst of 
personal turmoil and pain in the midst of a world that seems confused and at times lost. Ready for this? God is moving towards the world, not away from it. God is moving towards you and not away from you. And the birth of Jesus declares that because the true light has come into the world. Maybe you know that verse that's always highlighted at the Super Bowl. I've seen it all six of the Patriots Super Bowls at least once. John 3.16 when it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have, say it with me, eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, speaking of Christ. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. John's gospel starts with this. God moves towards us. He moves towards you. He moves towards me too. He moves towards the entire human race with love and light. I bet if you're younger than me, or maybe you're older than me, but for you kids, I bet you know someone who's a Christian. Certainly the pastors, but it's probably your parents. Maybe it's your sibling. Maybe it's someone you're in homeschool with or go to public school with. Maybe it's your roommate. I bet you know someone who's a Christian. I'd like you to ask them a question for me. When did they realize God was pursuing a relationship with them? When did they realize that God was pursuing a relationship with them? Invariably, they will have an answer. They have a story to tell about this moment when the light overcame their darkness and they discovered God was pursuing them. My prayer is that even if it's just a crack, that you will discover that this persistent pattern continues today. God pursues people even when people have given up pursuing him. Why? Because the God of Christianity is a God of grace. And grace pursues people every day. Not just on Christmas Eve. Maybe he's calling you to discover part of that story lies underneath your story tonight. So Jesus is here to send you a message. God is pursuing you. He's calling you. He's calling you. And yet in verse 10, it says he does it in the most strange of ways. He was in the world. The world was made through him. The world did not know him. He came to his own people, and they did not receive him. 
In other words, when Christ came into the world, when he was born, he did not arrive in a fashion that was marked with bells and candles and beautiful orchestras and whatever we're going to eat after the service. Because that would cause people to say, this must be God. This person must be important. But that's not how he came at all. In eternity, Jesus was very important. We believe the scriptures teach that the Father, Son, and Spirit share co-equally in all that God is. And the Son who became incarnate possessed the glory of God, the likeness of God, the image of God, the splendor in God, indeed everything that makes God God, everything that caused the angels to adore God was there in the Lord Jesus Christ. But John says he came into the world and the world did not notice him. In other words, Christ arrived in a fashion that was so marked with nothing that you could say he came into the world, wait for it, as a nobody. As a nobody. He was born to poor peasant parents. Nobodies. The announcement of his birth was given the poor shepherds. Yeah, by majestic angels, but the poor shepherds, nobodies. There was no room for him even at the end. He was born in a stable. He's a nobody. And I was told in children's ministries was so insightful that he took a nap in a feeding trough. That's not someone who's a somebody. That's a nobody. The supreme somebody came into the world as a nobody. A baby, in other words. A baby born in a manger. Paul, later reflecting on this in Philippians 2, says, Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, a nobody, being born in the likeness of men. Here's where I need my prop so that the kids can actually take something home and talk to their parents about it. So give me a minute. I'm going to grab it. I have to change my outfit. You can turn your candle back on and play with something while I do that. Can one of you hold the door for me while I do this? Just one of you to be great. Can you see this in the back? I don't think I've ever brought these to church before, but those are my golf clubs that my dad gave to me years ago. I'm not a very good golfer, but before you knew me and I even became a pastor, I did something for golfers. 
every weekend and really every day, I was a caddy. Say caddy. Very good. You know what caddies do? They wear white shirts like this and white pants. They're kind of more like jumpsuits that we pull on and zip up. And we put on a golf hat, even if we don't look in a golf hat. And we, we carry golf bags for golfers for 18 holes. Hi, Dave. <laughs> and we walk with our golfer. And there's three rules which I had to follow kids if I was going to be a good caddy. And I was a good caddy. At one point, they called me the super duper looper because I carry two bags. The first rule is this. I'm going to leave my hat on for the purpose of caddying. You never lose the golfer's ball, right? When he hits the ball, you need to make sure you don't lose it. And the second rule is this. When he gives you the club back, you take your towel and you clean it, right? You don't use spit. You have a little thing of water and you clean the club. And, and the last rule is the most important rule of all. The golfer's always right and the caddy never argues, right? Even when the golfer does something that he shouldn't have done. Golfer's always right. Well, there was a famous caddy named Andrew that when I was caddying, I heard about. He's in the Hall of Fame, the Golf Hall of Fame. And what you wouldn't know about Andrew is that Andrew was a successful businessman. He was a very good golfer himself, though not good enough to be on the pro circuit. He was a very good tennis player too, which intrigues me. But he was an excellent caddy. In fact, he was on the bag for more than 30 majors, of which different golfers won with Andrew on the bag, although it wasn't his full-time profession. Alistair Begg, who shared this story recently, talks about a time when he was with Andrew, and he took Andrew to the golf course, because Andrew was going to be Alistair's caddy, and Andrew said, let me off here, I need to run into the clubhouse, and I need to do something. And so Alistair led him there off at the clubhouse, and Andrew ran in, and he came out, and he was dressed all in white like me. He's wearing his jumpsuit and his golf hat. And Alistair parked the car, and Andrew took Alistair's bag and caddied for Alistair for 18 holes. Andrew said this, when I put on my uniform, I pour myself into this role as a caddy. It, it becomes me. I'm not Andrew the businessman. I'm not Andrew the bet, a good golfer or tennis player. When I have my uniform on and I'm caddying, I pour myself into that role in order that I might serve others well. We see that every day. My postal worker today was wearing a uniform and he delivered mail on time on Christmas Eve. My Amazon drivers and my UPS drivers deliver my packages and they wear uniforms. Medical professionals, firemen and women, police, they all wear uniforms. And when they're in uniform, you know, if you know these individuals, they pour themselves into the role to serve 
others. Jesus, who was born a baby, who didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, chose to set aside his glory in order to put on a uniform, so to speak, for his entire life. Jesus, you're going to be laid in a manger. It doesn't matter. Jesus, you'll have nowhere to lay your head as an adult. It doesn't matter. Jesus, you'll be an outcast and a stranger, even among your own family, your own people. It doesn't matter. Jesus, they will nail you to a cross and your followers will all desert you. And Jesus says, that's okay. That's what it means to put on this uniform, to take the form of a servant, to be born in the likeness of men. See, Jesus has a message this Christmas. God's pursuing you out of his great love for you. He wants a relationship with you, but you have to first recognize that Jesus, who loves you and died for you, came into this world as a nobody in order to serve you. So how do we then respond? John tells us at the end of our passage, and I conclude, how do we respond to this supreme somebody who became a nobody? How do we receive him? Verse 12, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The message is essentially this. For those who receive him, believe in him. And in believing in him, we become something we could never become on our own. To receive Jesus is to receive him as he is. It means, well, you believe what Jesus claimed about himself. You believe when he says in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. You believe him when he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. You believe him when he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What does it mean to receive and believe in Jesus? It means, it means we simply believe who he claimed to be. But it also means we believe what the Bible says is true about us as well. It says that we're sinners. And I'm the biggest sinner I know. And it says that my sin against God is worthy of God's wrath and judgment. But the message of the Bible is that God sent a supreme somebody to be a nobody in order to die in our place so that the sum total of our life would not be us trying to earn God's favor, but the sum total of my life and yours would be trusting in Christ's righteousness and his gift of salvation and his provision and his authority and his ability to bring us eternal life. And the benefits, the text says, when we do that, when we receive him and believe in his name, we become the children of God. It means we have a relationship with God through Christ. So being part of being a Christian is means 
that I not only have heard the message that God's pursuing me and that the supreme nobody became a, some, became a servant in order to save me, but that I can just walk in now to the presence of God through faith in Christ. Not ring the bell like the Amazon delivery truck. Not knock on the door like a neighbor who's stopping by for a visit. But walk right in to God's presence. Knowing that because of the relationship I've been given through faith in Christ, he is my father. And I am his child and you are too. And we can enjoy eternal life getting to know the supreme somebody who became a nobody so he could do for you what you could never do for yourself. Die in your place, be raised from the dead, and seated now on high. Tell you I love you. Put all of your trust in me and trusting in me. Find eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, even our ability to be believe in you means that we need even your help right now to receive you. So as we sing this final set of songs, I pray, Lord, that the glimpse or the crack of insight you've given each of us, Lord, would now be responded to us as we receive your invitation to find in Christ our salvation. And yes, Lord, we would, we would turn from our sins, but we would turn to you and find in you eternal life through the forgiveness of those very sins and our relationship with you forevermore begins. Lead us now this Christmas, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's, uh, let's stand together. <clears throat> this, is, uh, this, this is one of my favorite songs uh, that we sing for Christmas, God Rest You Merry Gentlemen. And one of my favorite things about the song is often missed because the language is from like really old English. God rest ye merry gentlemen. It, it doesn't necessarily mean to make you happy. Uh, and it doesn't mean you rest. <laughs> it means God make you mighty gentlemen and women. God make you mighty. And he does that because he became humble and weak. And we are made mighty when we become lowly and meek and weak and rely on Christ. Look to him for our salvation. Look to him for our life. Uh, and so we can have joy. I mean, this is a joyful song, and we, we sing it that way. So let's, uh, let's sing together. Christmas Day to save us. 
love celebrating Christmas. Christmas Eve services are just a reminder of what God has done in, in my own life, what he's done in everyone's lives here. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, listen, if you don't know him as your Savior, he is pursuing you. He is giving you an opportunity to come to know him. So I, I seriously, before you leave, come down front and I will pray with you if you want to know him as your Savior tonight. It's very, very simple but very deep. He is pursuing you. And for those of you that have been Christians for many years, I just want you to be reminded that the gospel, this story, what God has done in sending a baby, someone great to become a nobody that can save a nobody like me. Uh, it, it's a story to be cherished. And I want to leave you with this. Uh, just in the, for a benediction, I just want to read a passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 2. All of the things that happened in Luke chapter 2, the angels coming, the shepherds in their fields, going to see the baby in the manger. And at the end of that, and this is, this is an example for us, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, Okay, so this is a treasure. What's happened is a treasure for us to ponder. And to be very practical, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen and had been told them. It's something for us to be excited about as we leave here, and it's something for us to tell people about as well. So I want to pray for us as we leave. And... Uh, well, let's pray. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the explicit ways that you have told the story of Jesus being born, coming to this earth, living among people who needed a savior. And you died and rose again. You conquered death so that we might live as well. So we thank you, Lord, for that. What a blessed time for us to celebrate when your word has just pointed to that event all throughout it. So Lord, I ask that you will bless our uh, Christmas season. I pray, Lord, that you bless the family times that we have together. I pray, Lord, that you will make yourself the focus in our hearts, that our appreciation for you will rise even greater and that you will receive the glory that you deserve. So we thank you, Lord, for our time tonight in worshiping together. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, have a wonderful Christmas. Thank you all for coming. If anybody would like prayer, please come down, and I'd be happy to pray with you. So you're dismissed. Merry Christmas.